How's it going, guys? Welcome to episode 80 of Fear Frequency, a weekly horror podcast. It's me, Jimmy Champagne, and I'm joined, as always, by... George Fazard. How's it going? Good, dude. What's going on? Nothing. Just been uh, eating a lot of food. <laughs> <laughs> My girlfriend's mom's in town. We've just been going to restaurants Not bad. All day. Not a bad way to spend the weekend. Yeah, it was pretty good. Uh, I've also been replaying The Last of Us. Because uh, I heard a podcast about it, and then I was like, hmm, I should go back and play that game again. And I've I've had the PS4 version on my PS4 for a long time. I started that game back up, and it's still really good. It's awesome. It's it's like all the it's none of the bloat of modern gaming is in it. It has very simple crafting, nice, well thought out linear levels, really solid combat, and a great story. It's like everything you want. Nothing to complain about there. Yeah, like it looks like a PS3 game, kind of, because it was. Like when you're walking in the forest parts especially, like you can see the path that they really made look nice. And then you can see where it kind of breaks and the background assets kind of come into it. And there's some weird little texture stuff and the faces get a little off. But overall, it looks really good for a seven-year-old game. Yeah, I can't wait to play it uh, when it's on PS Plus next month. Yeah, so I'm also waiting for Days Gone to go on sale digitally so I can play the, more of that game because I had to stop playing it because my PS4 disk drive broke. So And I just got sick of not being able to use rest mode because that game has a really long first load. So it was like anytime I wanted to play it, I'd have to wait for it to load into the game. It just was so annoying. So not ideal. Did not like that at all. <laughs> um. I played most of Blasphemous. I don't know if I talked about that. I, that's a game I think I played since you left. But Blasphemous is a 2D Metroidvania on Switch. I've been playing it on my Switch Lite. It's really good. It's not really a Metroidvania. It's more like a 2D Dark Souls. Because a Metroidvania implies that you get power-ups that help you later in the game. And Blasphemous, you can technically just do whatever you want. It's like Dark Souls, where you can go anywhere but some areas might rock your shit if you're not uh, if you don't have any like sword skills or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But it has the same soul mechanic and the bonfire mechanic and all that. It doesn't have fast travel, but the map isn't so big that that sucks. And there's really good shortcutting. So once you get through an area, there's usually a shortcut back to the first area or a different one that you need to go to next. So that game is really good. Yeah, that's one that I want to check out for sure, but haven't gotten around to yet. Yeah, after I'm done with that, I think I'm going to play Ori in the Blind Forest. That's out on Switch now. And I also want to play uh, Link's Awakening. I heard it's really good. Yeah, I've heard that remake is a more faithful one. And it, that, in general, is one of the better Zelda games that I haven't played. So uh kind of waiting to dive into that when I have more I, time. I just don't want to pay $60 for it because it's, right? it's, at its heart, it's a Game Boy game, you know? Yeah. They're charging 60 bucks for a relatively short experience that they give a graphical overhaul. That's right. pretty much Especially all they did. It's an early Game Boy game where right. the <laughs> the experience is probably like a sub 10 hour start to finish. Yeah. And they've done, they've made minor changes, but it's not going to get DLC and the Dungeon Maker apparently is pretty mediocre. So there's nothing really there that would make you want to keep coming back to it unless you wanted to do master mode, I guess. But you can do the master mode or hero mode or whatever. You can do that from the beginning now. You don't have to beat the game to get that anymore. So yeah, that cuts not really... out like a whole playthrough. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They but they did include the dungeon from the Game Boy Color release, which is cool, I guess. But yeah, I'm gonna get that eventually. I'm just I think I'm gonna wait for it to go on sale because we've got Luigi's Mansion coming up. We've got Pokemon in November. There's a lot of good games coming out, you know? Yeah, Switch is pretty stacked this year. Yeah, and we've been playing Borderlands 3 together a lot with uh, Ethan, not Grayson, because he won't <laughs> buy it. And that game's great. Yeah, uh, I that was a game where I expected it to be, you know, like another Borderlands game, which I'm, I like the first two. I wouldn't call them, like, my favorite games or anything, but I think they're fun enough and they're cool to play. Right. Uh, but but this one has definitely been a good time sink for me. It's the controls are super tight. It's a lot of fun to play on PC. The gun variety is awesome. I love all the like oh, yeah, really totally. wild out there effects in the new guns. 
the story has been to for me pretty funny uh so i, I don't re- really have much to complain about on that game I don't really understand how they made it look better than Borderlands 2. That's what I keep saying. <laughs> but, like, it does look significantly better. And people are saying it's just more Borderlands. It's really not because they overhauled the way the game plays. The shooting feels a lot better and the traversal feels a lot better. Just the way the open world works in that game, being, like, smaller open world areas that you can travel between, that works really well. I think that's a good evolution of what they did before. But the biggest thing is that they made the shooting feel better, for sure. Yeah, also there's like a new hub world now, and you travel to different planets, so it gives you a little bit more variety in terms of where you go and different enemy variety and uh, environments you see along the way, which helps break up the monotony of doing a thousand side quests. Yeah, people have been like saying that when it came out, it wasn't running very well, but so far I haven't had many issues with it. I know they patched it a few times on PC, but I haven't had much issue running it above 60 frames per second i've never seen it drop below that yeah um i've had a pretty solid frame rate i mean i've been playing it at like 1440p but i haven't really seen it drop below 60 ever 1440p is awesome it looks good with that game because it's so much clearer even though it's cell shading but yeah the best gun i've found is just like a pinpoint accurate assault rifle that uh does corrosive damage i really like that gun yeah one thing that it, I think, like, the one weapon type that seems kind of... I don't know if it's underrated, but it seems like the most versatile are actually the sniper rifles because you can use them like a close-range uh, bolt action if you just don't aim down the sights because it's pinpoint accurate. And right. then if you do need distance, you can look down the scope. So that seems actually pretty versatile, more so than I'd expect. Yeah, I like the Jacobs sniper rifles because they're just long-range revolvers and they do a ton of damage those are great so yeah and they did a really good job at as you get higher and higher in level and farther in the game the the wide the pool of weapons you're available to get widens a lot so you're not just going to get the best gun you're going to have at the beginning of the game you're going to get it and then you'll always be switching out guns which yeah definitely i don't want to keep the same thing for the whole game yeah i mean i'm constantly switching not only what guns I'm using, but types of guns between uh, assault rifles and SMGs and handguns and snipers. So it it has a lot of variety to the game and keeps it fresh. Right. So that game is pretty good. I think it's definitely worth the $60 asking price. I know that this week Destiny 2 Shadowkeep comes out. So that's going to suck us back in, I think. And then Apex Legends is getting a new map. So I'll be on trying that out but it's a good time to play some video games definitely for sure so that's all i've been playing but it sounds like dr loomis is dying again we have a pretty solid halloween alert so the first thing on here is that uh we're gonna see nurse marion coming back in halloween kills with the same actress playing her i think her name's nancy stevens off the top of my head am i right i'm yeah i think you're right Oh, I'm right. That's cool. <laughs> uh, this is one character where I think she will only be in the flashback, maybe. Like, I don't think she'll have too much of a role in Halloween Kills. I could be wrong there, but, like, what's she going to do? She's only encountered Michael for a grand total of three minutes in her entire life. Right, because... and even in H20, when they brought her back, she was you know slightly older and that movie came out what she was like the best part of that whole movie ago. yeah definitely. the intro is so good in that movie it looks great it's got a great fall feel they make they put more effort into making it feel like fall in that movie than any other halloween arguably other the intro to halloween 4 right and then they jump to california and it looks like yeah shit. <laughs> it's like you guys are, whoever whoever figured that one out didn't do a very good job but uh this is just yet another actor coming back and we did get some leaks from the set. So I predicted a couple times that we're going to be seeing a flashback in this one because uh, basically a friend of mine asked the dude who's making up the masks for the movie if we'll be seeing a clean Michael Myers mask. And he said, I cannot confirm or deny. So I was like, that's kind of a hint. So over the weekend, there were some leaked photos from the set. So if you don't want to hear these, I'd skip ahead like two or three minutes, I guess. But 
basically all those 70s and eight, 60s and 70s era cars were lined up on the streets and there was a clean masked Michael Myers out on the streets. People got pictures of them and it looks awesome. They're pretty grainy, but you can tell what it is. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a cool way to... I mean, I assume everybody who's watching these movies has seen the original, but I think kind of tying it back in more con in a more concrete way and bringing back characters from the original movie is a good step in, in right. uh, the continuity of this new trilogy, I guess. And they were going to do... A, the flashback they were going to do in last year's movie was going to involve... It was going to pick up right after the end of the movie and it was going to show how Michael got caught and put back in Smith's Grove. It's going to be like pretty much immediately after. And they ended up just not filming it. And the, actually the room that Lori falls out of in her house from the second floor, that's a like perfect scale replica of the room that Michael falls out of in uh, Halloween, the original. So they were like going to do it. They decided not to. I'm assuming that's the flashback we're going to see this time around. But it'll probably be expanded out and it'll go from flashback to modern day where we see we catch up with all the people who encountered him in 1978 i think that's gonna be pretty cool yeah um i think what you were saying initially where this seems like it's gonna be some sort of team up movie where we get to see all these characters that encountered him in the first one come back to get their revenge or at least have some input on like how to stop him or something and this one seems accurate from all the stuff that we're seeing come out on this one yeah and i saw another photo uh it looks like there's gonna be a kill in the Haddonfield park because there was a park sign that says like Haddonfield Park, Warren County Department of Parks and Recreation or whatever. So that's cool. I like that. There's also another movie filming in Wilmington right now. And apparently people are mixing up the shoots. So uh, that's the only confirmed things I've seen. The Michael Myers uh, in Clean Mask. And I've seen the Haddonfield Park sign. And then also Anthony Michael Hall put a picture on his Instagram that was like a collage. And it showed... The bar they were shooting in with uh, Lonnie Elam, who's Cameron's dad. So it's pretty, pretty uh, good shooting schedule so far. I think. I think they're having a good time. Yeah, I mean, it looks like they're they're on the right track. They got a lot of things moving, and they got two movies to shoot back to back. So hopefully they're organized. Right. It sounds like they're taking their time and yeah. <laughs> not being rushed, which is what I want. Uh, so Halloween is looking good. Also. There's a new Candyman coming out, and for some reason, there's really no hype for it. I, Even though Jordan Peele's attached to produce, Tony Todd, it looks like he's coming back. That's what this story is. No one really seems to care. Have you noticed that? Yeah, it seems weird. Uh, I don't know if it's just people haven't really seen the original Candyman movie or, or what. But, I mean, I think that's probably one of the stronger, like, late 90s, early 2000s Oh, yeah, that's one of the, the best 90s horror movies, easily. Yeah, I mean, the setting is really cool. It's like an urban legend. Uh, Tony Todd is awesome as the Candyman, so it just seems like... I don't know why it's not getting any hype or not really gaining any traction, especially with Jordan Peele attached to it. But if he is coming back to reprise the role, I think that could be a really cool uh, another bonus to this movie the thing that i don't really like is that i guess mgm is doing this is that right am i wrong yes. yeah mgm is the the studio God, i believe damn it <laughs> i i don't know that that bugs me i mean that hansel and gretel movie looks pretty good right but that I mean, looks MG, okay. mgm's track record so far the revival of uh them and orion is just not great so <laughs> yeah at least it's not orion it's mgm who owns orion so i guess that makes it a little bit more elevated so i guess it's it's not worth writing off just yet but that is not a good sign in my opinion it's directed by nia DaCosta, who did a movie called little woods and it stars yaha abdul mateen the second um he was an aquaman i think he's the he was black man black manta yeah yeah and it says he's in Us here, but I don't know who he played in Us. Anyways, he's the main character. And Brad from Bloody Disgusting says that Tony Todd will be returning to the role that he first portrayed in the 1992 film. 
All of his sources are solid, but none of them were fully confident, which kind of led him on a wild goose chase to get confirmation. And then right after he gave up, uh, two more trustworthy sources came in telling him that what he had been hearing is true. Uh, So he's waiting for MGM to officially announce it, but he says he's pretty confident that it's true. So that's a good way. Yeah, I mean, I think that would add a lot of, like, credence to this movie being good. I think, like, having original actors coming back, sort of the, like, Halloween 2018 deal where you have the characters that are tied to it coming back to reprise the roles or help kind of cement this in canon as to, you know, like, the series of the movies. So uh, I think that's cool, and and I hope that is true that he's coming back for it. So the first movie is kind of like a gothic romance type deal where, you know, Tony Todd's character is trying to, you know, get the girl. He's trying to convince her to come live with him in the weird spirit world. And his story is pretty tragic. I wouldn't be surprised if this was kind of a passing of the torch thing. Like, there's a new Candyman created. Right. And he's got to kind of train him on how to play the game where you say it three times and all that stuff. Uh I think it's cool. Jordan Peele producing is a good sign. Overall, I'm just going to wait until we see something from it, you know, because producing, as we'll talk about in a little bit, doesn't mean a whole lot. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's like uh, a cool setup so far, but nothing concrete, and and we don't know really how it's going to be until we get more details. Right. So I think we have that to look forward to next June which it's basically filling the same slot as Child's Play. And that's one where I definitely don't think they need to fill the Halloween slot. I think June's actually probably pretty good for this. It puts it right near the new Saw. But overall, I think they're they're looking pretty good. And also, so Midsummer came out just a couple of months ago. And the overall consensus on it seemed to be that it was... Good summer horror, but it wasn't as good or as creepy in the imagery sense as Hereditary. But it turns out people just weren't looking hard enough for the creepy imagery. (laughs) Because towards the end of the movie, when the ceremony happens and uh, Danny is lifted onto the pedestal and they start walking her to the feast table, you can see her dead sister's face up in the trees with the exhaust tube in her mouth from the beginning of the movie. Uh, Which I'd argue that the the movie... is the best in the very first scene and it never really quite makes its way back to there so Mm -hmm. calling back to that throughout the movie makes a lot of sense to me yeah and i think this is just kind of a sign that there is a lot more creepy hidden imagery throughout the movie and now that it's out on blu-ray and 4k and all that we're gonna have a chance as an audience to catch a lot of these things that you couldn't see in theaters um so it's cool. It'll be interesting to see kind of what comes out in the following couple of weeks to see what we missed on our initial few viewings. See, the problem is, like, I don't necessarily think that makes the movie any creepier. I, it's creepy imagery on its own, but the only reason she's seeing this stuff is because she's on hallucinogens, right? That's just representations yeah. of her grief and whatever. So uh, that might be scary to some people, but that doesn't necessarily make the movie any scarier to me. I just think it's cool. Yeah, I mean, it's still, like, interesting Easter eggs for fans of the movie to see and kind of... It's just interesting, you know, to kind of pick these little hidden pieces throughout the movie. Right. Um, but that's a great movie. Good follow-up. I hope he sticks with horror. He said a couple times that, you know, he's moving on after he only had two horror movies to make. But I've also heard mixed uh, mixed reporting on that i've heard that later on he was like ah they just took me out of context so hopefully he sticks with horror another cool thing that came out of that little universe though is there's another image did you see this from hereditary where danny and christian walk by uh tony collette's character i i always hate when that happens and people are like oh these people whose faces you don't see are wearing like vaguely similar outfits (laughs) right you know, but they it looks like them from behind. I think that was probably yeah, it, on purpose. It really does look a lot, cl- like, very close. Like, if it isn't those actors, I, I'd kind of be shocked because it seems like the exact same body type and same hairstyle and same everything. Right. I mean, seeing it, like, with the side-by-side, it's like, oh. Right. Yeah, that that's what's going on. I like that. So, either way, Hereditary and Midsummer probably linked a little closer than we all thought. Now that it's on Blu-ray, you're right. People are going to start discovering that stuff. And I think it's cool, cool too, with 
things like that where directors are kind of making their own like small cinematic universe where they're just including bits from their other movies together and it like right. tying the string between these movies without like it really being this big event is kind of interesting just when directors kind of pay that little extra attention and and kind of get people who go over the movie with a fine tooth comb to get that little extra edge out of it yeah, um, and also, just speaking of producing, we have a ton of producing stories this week. We've talked about this in the past, but Barbara Crampton, she came on Joe Bob's show to talk about how she's producing the remake of Castle Freak, which, that's a weird movie to remake because there's really no mind share on that name. It's a very weird callback, you know, weird thing to bring back. Uh, but she did an interview with MovieWeb where she said, first of all, it's not a remake, it's a reimagining. I only say that because I just want people to know the story is completely different. We have a different premise for the story. The characters are different, but there are a few similarities. There is a freak, there is a castle, there's a character named Rebecca, and there's a character named John. But who they are and who their relationship is is completely different, and we have a whole new cast of characters. At that point, why are you calling it Castle Freak, you know? Like, yeah. I mean, it seems like a very loose reimagining or, you know, they're just trying to, like, it's not, it is weird to try to capitalize on the name of Castle Freaks. I feel like it's one of those movies that really flew under most people's radars. Like, I hadn't really heard of it or paid much attention to it until it was on the last uh, Joe Bob special. Right. Where I hadn't even heard of it. So it was like, you're not really capitalizing off the name. Like, the name Castle Freak isn't, (laughs) right, it's not going to bring people into the theaters, but... You know, I guess it is sort of like a cla- like maybe a cult classic in some circles, so you're sort of capitalizing it. It just seems weird that, like, that's... You're, like, completely reimagining it and also using the name of, of it. Like, why don't you just slightly change the title at that point? Yeah, this is another Fangoria movie, too, which makes sense because the SFX makeup artist Tate Steinsick... Steinsick? Steinsick. I don't know how to say his name. <laughs> uh, they they did the makeup on and the SFX on Puppet Master Littlest Reich, which we watched, mm-hmm. another Fangoria movie, and Satanic Panic. He's doing his directorial uh, debut from a script written by Kathy Charles, who did The Kings of Maine. Never heard of that. And the composer of Zombie 2 and The Beyond, Fabio Fr- Fritchi will compose a score for the movie so it's kind of like an eclectic little cast of characters but if you've looked at the stuff we've seen from shutter thus far it'll probably be it'll it'll be a low budget well shot quick little feature that we'll be seeing in mid 2020 yeah i mean at, at this point a lot of the shutter original stuff's been kind of hit or miss like either it has a budget enough to be kind of cool or it's so low budget that it feels like they didn't even have enough to like finish the movie, so it'll be interesting to see where where this one lands on the spectrum. Yeah, since Fangoria is making this, I think it'll end up being very similar to a Shutter original because they the, they all kind of fit together, right? Like Hell House Three, right? Scope and scale on par with Satanic Panic and Puppet Master Littlest Reich. They're good callbacks to '80s horror movies, which I guess is what people want. Um, but it's cool that Barbara Crampton's producing that. I was following her Instagram while she was shooting this movie. I think it was over in Europe. It looks pretty cool. And Castle Freak was awesome on the Joe Bob thing. So maybe maybe the name was worth using after all. We don't know. Yeah, I mean, I was, I'm was i totally a big fan of the original. So to see it kind of come back in another form, I'm all for it. Yep. And also, it was announced last week, I think, uh, that... Sam Neill, Jeff Goldblum, and Laura Dern are all coming back for Jurassic World 3. Uh, They all just kind of like said it. Everyone kind of assumed that that was happening, but Colin Trevorrow is directing it, and it comes out in June of 2021. So it's weird that they announced that this early, right? Yeah, it seems um, like you could have waited until closer to the release of the movie or until we get a trailer or something. Or surprised us. Right. Like, that would have been a really good teaser or whatever to drop at like the end of the first trailer where we see all the characters back together like that would have been kind of a bigger yeah bomb drop than to just say it like before we even know what's going to happen next it's weird so what they're doing with this movie is i think it's going to be an extinction type thing because we watched the battle at big rock short film when you were here a couple weeks ago yep. and 
post-Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, the dinosaurs are just on mainland America now. So what I'm thinking the plot is going to be is like all the dinosaurs are going to, you know, keep making more dinosaurs and they're just going to be part of the way of life and it's going to be, you know, soldiers versus dinosaurs. I, I don't know. I, I don't know what this movie is going to be, but I feel like they could possibly jump the shark on this one. Yeah. I mean, I, I think a lot of the, like the first few Jurassic World movies, like definitely have some fun moments and the second one had a lot of cool like shot work like there was a lot of gothic imagery and stuff like that that i liked yeah but it, i mean it, it's it definitely fun. going to the like very absurd at this point where yeah, we have it, dinosaurs it and humans coexisting we have all these all of them loose on the world i mean there's definitely some cool stuff in battle of big rock where you know we see these people who are just kind of trying to enjoy a weekend camping and then dinosaurs attack which you know could could end up having some cool you know, fish out of water moments with these dinosaurs, but it just seems like, I don't know, it, there's a lot of, a lot more points for it to fail than I think for it to succeed. Yeah. And Universal is tr- treating it like they're Star Wars at this point. They made the battle at Big Rock and just kind of like dropped it on FX. They're also doing a Netflix show for, it's animated, uh, called, I think, Camp Cretaceous. And it takes place before the first Jurassic World, like when the park is still up and running so they're trying to turn this into a big flagship brand but if jurassic world world 3 is the end of the you know the story i don't know what their plan is there or if they're gonna you know launch a whole new trilogy but they've just kind of ballooned so big at this point i don't know how they're gonna be able to top whatever they're doing yeah it seems weird like obviously we don't know what we're doing at this at this point and I mean, bringing back the original character is kind of cool because that's never happened since the original movie. I mean, we had Jeff Goldblum do uh, Jurassic Park 2, and then we had Sam Neill and Laura Dern come back for Jurassic Park 3. So we haven't actually yeah, seen the original briefly. cast all back together yeah. since the original movie. So it could be good. It could be a cash-in to try to get that nostalgia and get those original fans back. Uh, but we yeah, really I'd love have... to know how much they were paid for this yeah. one. Uh, I mean, Laura Dern has definitely not slowed down at all. She's still, like, a huge actress. I mean, she's in uh, Big Little Lies. And you and know... she's the one who got to announce it, which is pretty cool. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad I... Sam Neill's coming back, though. I mean, she was also in Star Wars, so it seems like <laughs> to she's probably the most expensive person to bring back. I mean, Jeff Goldblum's yeah. also done well, but it just seems like, I don't know. It's weird. It's it's cool to bring him back, but I just don't know what direction they're going with, with this series at this point. Right. So, that's cool. Unfortunately, though, we have to talk about some bummer news. Legendary actor Sid Haig has passed away. So, this kind of sucks. It happened basically right before, uh, or right around the time that Three From Hell released. And Three From Hell did not get favorable reviews at all. People were like, these characters should not have been brought back for a story like this. And apparently he's barely in it. He's in it for all of 10 minutes because it picks up 10 years after the last movie. And I guess they're all in jail. So that's that's kind of just a bummer. But I guess it's good that he got back on the big screen before he died. Because he's like a prolific horror actor. He's in Spider-Baby. He's in House of a Thousand Corpses. Devil's Rejects 3 from Hell. Like Captain Spaulding at this point is an iconic horror villain, I think. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think he was a horror icon, definitely. You know, love it or hate it, I think that Captain Spaulding is the one character that you take away from those movies as like the very iconic, interesting, cool character. Uh, and I think really the reason why people were complaining about Three from Hell was just because he wasn't one of the main members of the cast. You know what I mean? Like he's right. he as a character makes such an impact on those movies that to have him absent from it really kind of takes away a lot of the fun and a lot of the magic of it. So um, I mean, obviously he was in reports came out he was in kind of a bad accident and right. was kind of recovering, but he was also fairly elderly and it just seems like you know when you're near the end of your life like that age-wise and you get in something serious accident it doesn't really end up well for you so it sucks that uh, he passed away and he ended on a low note but he also has a great filmography before that and uh, he'll definitely be missed as an actor yeah i heard he's i never met him at like a convention or anything but i heard he's always really cool 
and funny. So that's cool if people got to meet him and he wasn't a jerk because sometimes people can be pretty mean, but I've heard almost exclusively, I think actually exclusively, that he's always been really cool at conventions. So, yeah, I mean, everyone that was posting, you know, uh, things a lot on of Twitter pictures. or social media has said that, you know, they met him like 10 years ago through now at uh conventions and every single time they talked to him he was the nicest guy in the world so it sucks that he died but uh you know he still has definitely left a huge impact and and made his name known yeah i like that uh they did house of a thousand corpses at halloween horror nights even more now because they had some good captain spaulding masks there yeah it looked like i mean those masks Sid were <laughs> extremely extremely realistic so it's cool that uh you know, that movie has definitely made a lasting impact and uh, was celebrated at the most recent Halloween Horror Nights. Yeah, dude. That's, so that sucks, but he'll be remembered. There's no way that dude's going to be forgotten by anyone who likes horror movies. You know? Yeah. <laughs> um, but in more positive news, ahead of Mike Flanagan's Doctor Sleep, which comes out on November 8th. Man, I can't believe that's... Dude, that's really soon. That's going to really sneak up on us. Right after Halloween, we get some nice Doctor Sleep horror Warner Brothers is actually putting the new 4K restoration of The Shining back into theater, theaters. And on October 1st, you'll be able to buy it on 4K Blu-ray, which I'm definitely going to do. But uh, if you want to go see it, you can see it between right now and October 1st. So if you haven't gone and seen it, you only have a couple days left at this point. But it's a <laughs> 4K remaster of the original 35mm uh, negative. So I'm sure it looks great. I'll definitely have to go out on October 1st and see this one because I love The Shining. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely one of those all-time great horror movies. Like, I think it's probably within the top, if not the top 10, the, the top five of most people's, like, favorite horror movies of all time. So it is super impactful. I think one of Kubrick's, like, coolest movies. So if you have yeah, the, the opportunity go see it but i'm definitely gonna buy this on 4k when it comes out for home video oh yeah totally it is a really cool cover too it's just nice owning all these old horror movies on 4k you know you're seeing it in the best way possible and it's nice to see with halloween especially that how well it aged like that all that money john carpenter put into making sure it would age well paid off definitely yeah i mean that's kind of the cool thing about watching these older movies in 4k where you know they shoot them on film at like a much higher resolution it's like 8k than... or 60 it's like ridiculous how high of a resolution film is right but it was like they never really had the technology to fully present it to the audience in the way that it was shot so now that we have the technology to kind of convert it into as high resolution as possible these older movies really still do hold up because you can watch them in these super high resolution prints now that we would never had access to before so it's cool to like see these scenes again like you've never seen them before and catch all these little details that are 20 30 years old at this point right so there's just going to be an influx of 4k horror blu-rays as time goes on too so get ready for that definitely i'm excited i think we're all excited for yeah (laughs) yeah and another interesting story we have is about um a nightmare on elm street so i guess the same thing that happened on friday the 13th where if i write a movie and it gets produced the rights to that movie get like reverted back to me after 35 years and since wes craven was the writer and director of the original nightmare on elm street i guess the rights have reverted back to his estate and there's no one really contesting it at this point so it's not going to be a friday the 13th situation i would assume that uh warner brothers and new line cinema will probably get to continue making Nightmare on Elm Street movies. They haven't done a lot with it lately, but they've never, you know, not made money with it. So if I'm leading uh, Wes Craven's estate, I'm definitely giving the rights back to whoever's going to make a movie. And I feel like Warner Brothers' new line, you can't really go wrong with them. Yeah, I mean, at the very least, it might kind of, you know, light the fire under their ass to make a new one if they're right. like, well, we're just going to sell it to somebody else if you're not going to make a movie with it or we want it to be treated and this studio really wants to use it because they have a cool idea for it. It might kind of get the conversation going again where it's possible we'll get another Nightmare on Elm Street movie or it's possible that we'll see Freddy in some other form or, you know, possibly another collaboration like we have with Freddy vs. Jason since New Line seems to own the rights to a lot of these horror icons now. Uh, yeah. So so it's interesting. It's kind of a. It's cool to see that there's a little bit of a shakeup with the Nightmare on Elm Street and 
we'll see kind of what happens, what the family wants to do with the rights from now. This is one that I would not like to see Blumhouse remake because you not only need insane practical effects, but the Friday, or the Nightmare on Elm Street movies really are all about set pieces, like yeah. big graphic, comical, sometimes set pieces that I just don't think Blumhouse is willing to provide a budget to make. And I, yeah. and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just not the type of movie that they've been making over the past few years. It's not yeah, like Scream. It, it definitely needs more of like the Conjuring treatment where it has oh, yeah. a $20 million budget and they can pay to have like, like in the last animal movie where we had werewolves and these like crazy board games and these specters and all this stuff. It, it needs to have like the budget to be able to do these like really zany cool out there set pieces that i don't think you can do on like a five million dollar budget right it needs a much bigger budget than that but i'd like to see what gary doberman could do with this i know people probably want andy muschetti to do it after it chapter two but man i don't want all this i don't want a ton of cgi and uh nightmare on elm street you know i just don't want that i don't think a lot of people want that but it seems like that dude is just intent on not listening to the audience because people <laughs> didn't didn't like the CGI in Mama. They didn't like the CGI in It Chapter 1 and It Chapter 2 just like tripled the amount of CGI that those two movies had. Right. And, and it's, it just dates your movie. That's yeah. plain and simple. I mean, to- even when you go back to like Nightmare on Elm Street 4, I think is unanimously kind of thought of as like one of the like weaker chapters in terms of plot, but people watch that movie over and over again because the set pieces are so cool. I mean, you have like oh yeah, the, it is the best like kills. The, the Roach Motel. You have the girl who gets fed to death. Like every single kill in that movie is like a practical effects masterpiece. Like <laughs> those are they're yeah, all so totally. cool and interesting to watch that it's like you go back to that movie today and it's as entertaining as it was when it came out. Right. So <laughs> it's just. I don't know. I, I don't think he's... I think from a director standpoint, he is... He does have the chops to do it, obviously, because he just proved that. But from a visual effects standpoint, I'd rather someone like James Wan or Gary Doberman, you know, anyone who was involved with the original Conjuring series, I'd like those people to do this because, you know, the whole the whole reason The Conjuring caught on so well with everyone is because James Wan was like, all right, this movie is taking place in like, what, the 60s or 70s? I'm only going to do practical visual gags that you can only do in that time period. So that's what I think A Nightmare on Elm Street really needs. Yeah, And definitely. I want to see that playfulness that they did, especially in 4, you know? Yeah, I, like it, this it, is it, how I feel. I think that's sort of like where the series went. Where I mean, it, it went obviously too far in that direction. There was like a lot of really crazy zany stuff, but you sort of need that like fun practical effect, like big weird crazy sets to do that movie right. So I hope we get that kind of director at the helm if this happens to come back for some kind of remake or sequel or whatever will come from this. Yeah, so I'm excited about that. Um, one franchise that does look like it's a little bit closer to coming back than A Nightmare on Elm Street is, is the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which I got to give that franchise credit, dude. They haven't had really a good movie since the second one or maybe the <laughs> remake, yeah. but it's still going. It has a ton of movies in it. So back in 2007, or 2017, not 2007, um, Bloody Disgusting, they said that Legendary Entertainment was in the mix to not only develop a new film on the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but also a TV series. That's because Lionsgate lost the rights after putting out Leatherface. They actually put out Leatherface too late by, I guess, like a day or something like that. Like They missed the cutoff by a day. <laughs> so they got screwed on that. And since then, we're not getting a TV show, but we are getting a new movie, it looks like. Because Legendary is having Fetty Alvarez, who is obviously the director of Evil Dead, the remake, and Don't Breathe. He's producing one for them. Um, It's not a director role, which sucks, but I guess if you look at it, like if you're starting from the top, they got a good guy at the top if production's the top, right? I just, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't understand why you would bring him on and not have him direct. I mean, I think they're not ruling out that he won't direct it. I think it's just more of a situation where 
you know, he's involved with it, and maybe, like, if a good enough script comes out of it or they get enough funding, he might kind of switch roles and become more hands-on with it. But I think just having him on board of, like, doing something for the project is good, in my opinion, to have this actually become, like, a decent remake, reboot, sequel, whatever it's going to be. I just, I don't know. I, I want it to be good. I, I'm glad that Fetty Alvarez is involved, allegedly, in some way. I don't want them to pick a director who's just going to emulate his style, though. Right. right. I really like Fetty Alvarez's style. I think he's great, but I like it because it's his. I don't want a director to come on and emulate it because they, like, Fetty can't direct it, you know? Right. That's just what I'm scared for. And, uh, but, and this is, like, slightly off topic, but uh, just... This week, I went and I saw Bruce Campbell at a local theater where he did oh, a yeah. show of, of Evil Dead and was and was talking about it. Did kind of like a Q and A session. Was talking about it afterwards, and uh, in during the Q and A session, it came up. People were asking him how he felt about the Evil Dead remake, and he said that he thought it was awesome. He thought that like Fetty Alvarez was such a good choice to direct that movie because. Uh, like, one of the things that makes the Evil Dead movies so fun is that it's, like, there's so much fake blood and everything, and it's, like, right. super campy and crazy. And he was like, Fetty Alvarez really liked that, so he would have scenes where they were just pumping blood out. They would have hoses that would, like, spray it as if it were the original movie, but they could do more blood, obviously, because they had, like, a pump attached to it. Right. And so the only CGI he would use for those would be to CGI out the tubes that were actually pumping the blood out. So it yeah. was, like... You know, using all the effects super practical in the most practical way possible, but using CGI exclusively to remove the, like, limitations that they had to film with. So I think having him involved in a sense where you can have these, like, crazy practical effects and it's like a best of both worlds situation. Right. I I think he could do something really cool with the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, too. The difference is... Um, so Evil Dead was always campy and gory and full of blood, right? But Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the original, had famously, like, no gore in it. But it was so scary that people just remember it having a ton of gore. Right. I would like to see how he handles something like that. Because the remake kind of pushed it in the other direction and made it more like the Evil Dead remake, where it was super gory and just disgusting. It tried to go for the creepy atmosphere, and it did a pretty good job. I just don't know what direction Fetty Alvarez as a producer especially, would take this in. And that's something to be excited about, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that is kind of an interesting point you bring up where the original movie is mostly like an atmospheric, like it seems so real that you don't think of it as like a... You know, it's not... Like you think of it as a gore fest because it scared you so bad, but really it's very like grounded and real. It just seems like there's this fucked up backwoods family that... <laughs> like kidnap these people and you know it's like this cannibal house and all this so it'll be interesting to see if like they take the same of same route as the remake or if they try to make it grounded and and creepy like the original yeah you never know it's it's exciting though i'm glad that something's moving forward that isn't texas chainsaw massacre 3d2 or something you know right. like or like leather or leather yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was garbage dude that movie sucked our first episode the review of leatherface so oh yeah we watched that like well before we recorded and we had to watch it again <laughs> to like get everything right that's crazy so that came out that came out almost two years ago that's nuts yeah that's wild anyways last story on this week's news is that james wan is officially shooting a giallo movie which i'm pretty sure we've talked about i don't know uh but it's called malignant that was revealed and basically if you don't know what a giallo movie is they predate the american slasher and they center on a murder mystery involving a black gloved killer so movies that would be considered giallo movies are deep red blood and black lace and don't torture a duckling and i have not seen any of them so <laughs> this is a new line movie which means it'll probably have a pretty good budget especially since it's james wan i'm glad that he's shooting a fucking horror movie in between aquaman and aquaman 2 yeah <laughs> that's awesome yeah i mean so, maybe he just missed it after doing a superhero movie he was like you know what it's been a long time since i've actually helmed a horror movie maybe i should go back to it yeah, I guess it's good that Annie Muschietti's doing Flash because maybe he'll come back after and be like, that's enough CGI for me. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, so 
anyways, it's good to see that James Wan is coming back to the genre. That makes me really happy. Oh, it's not our last story. You have one last thing on here. Weirdly, last week, Warner Brothers Montreal was hinting about a new Batman game, um, but they didn't announce it at the State of Play, and they didn't announce it at the Xbox Inside Xbox thing, and they had all these weird promotions, like Batman's in Fortnite right now, all the Arkham games are free on the Epic Store last week. So it really seemed like they were building up to something. But it ended up just being a tweet that basically reveals <laughs> that the Arkham Origins guys are doing a Court of Owls Batman game. Right. Are, but you, it's not are you into officially this? officially announced, which is weird. <laughs> um, but, I mean, I think that Batman Ar- or Batman, yeah, Origins is one of the better games in the franchise. Like, I think that the strength of that was that they had a bunch of like cool out there characters you wouldn't normally see in a Batman game. So I think them tackling like this court of owls style, like new 52 comic series could be really cool. Uh, it's just weird that we haven't really gotten an official announcement or any details yet. Yeah. I really like the court of owls storyline. It's like one of the only Batman comics I've ever read. I hope they do it because it would be awesome. And it's cool that they're kind of removed from the hype of Arkham Knight, which was kind of divisive, I guess, because of the Batmobile. But I'm going to give that game a try because it's, it was free. I got it on the Epic Store, and I can't really complain about that, you know? Right. <laughs> yeah, and I think they gave it out in uh, PS Plus or the Games for Gold for Xbox recently, yeah. too. So it seems like they're definitely uh, trying to remind people that there are Batman games out there and there might be something new coming out. Agreed. So we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back to talk about Hell House LLC 3, Lake of Fire, and Creepshow. Alright, George. So Hell House LLC 3, Lake of Fire. It came out on Shudder. It just dropped, kind of like the last one did. Less of a weird situation because this time around they produced it for Shudder. And I think they really had a missed opportunity here to call it Hell House LL3. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think that, that would have been a, a good uh, play on words for the title there. So this movie basically is a mix of Hell House 1 and Hell House 2. It all takes place in the Abaddon Hotel, which is being reopened by a billionaire, I guess, named Russell Wynn. Uh, He's making an interactive show called Insomnia. And of course, once they get inside the Abaddon Hotel, some weird things start happening. And we get to see Andrew Tully for a little bit. We get to see everyone from the first movie for a little bit. It's, It's a weird... This is a weird one. Because once again... It's not great, but from a lore standpoint and a scripting standpoint, I think the story that has evolved over the years has turned out to be a lot more fun than either of us ever expected. (laughs) And people thought this was going to be the last one, but it's definitely not going to be the last one. Yeah, like they definitely leave the door open at the finale to make a Hellas LLC 4 or like a prequel or something. So this might not be the last time we see these characters um the weird thing is that could the be good abaddon, or bad i guess <laughs> the abaddon building where they shoot in is actually a haunted house yeah i saw something uh i forget what it's called it's like the something estate but uh someone, the waldorf the waldorf yeah, estate the waldorf i don't know estate. why i remember that uh but <laughs> somebody just tweeted it at shutter and said like hey i i pass this thing every day on my way to work and i didn't notice right. it until i watched <laughs> watch all house so it's kind of cool that it's like a real place you can go and check out and it's a haunted house which would would actually be i think personally a cool thing to visit since we kind of hold the series near and dear to our heart yeah it's the weird thing with this movie is that it essentially follows the exact same plot of the first movie but with new characters who are all basically caricatures of humans you know, the whole play aspect of it makes it a little bit comical and out there. And no one really manages to be as cool as the original crew. You know, they were all great. I don't know. I really like the original crew. And I don't think they've ever matched that. And this was no different to me. Like Alex, Sarah, Paul, Tony, you know, like all those dudes. Yeah. And I think really the main issue with, I think, both sequels is that the original movie feels very real. Like, the characters seem just like normal people. They 
I mean, they're obviously like slightly caricatures, but it, it does feel like a like a documentary, more so than like a haunted like a haunted house movie. So right. the characters seem very real. There's a lot of scares. There's like really cool moments where you'll play some they'll play something back. You didn't notice something originally, and then there's some really creepy thing going on in the background. And you're like, oh shit, that's really fucking cool. And I I just don't think they've ever matched anything as good as the first movie. Like this one, they do that. They do the, like, play it back one time with a thing in the background. You're like, oh, that's cool. And they try it again later, but it's, like, the most extremely obvious thing ever in the background. Like, there's no way you would have ever missed that the <laughs> first time you looked at the picture. Right. Uh, also, they have, like, one scene that's an extended scare scene. It's, like, probably the strongest scene in the movie where right, one of the Right, but the girl who does it is the worst, dude. <laughs> we, we ta- it's the first thing they released, remember? They just yeah, released it was, like, scene. the original teaser trailer. Where uh, one of the actors of this insomnia goes into the haunted house like after hours and is walking through the set, and it's like one of two times we see the big clown dummy in the movie, and right. you know the uh, iconic villain, right? Like the icon of the series, <laughs> and that scare moment's pretty good. Like she ends up in the basement and he moves his head on camera. Which is dope. And she ends up dying. The problem with this movie is it's not confident in what it wants to be. So anytime any reference is made to the other two movies, it'll flash back exactly what they're talking about. And it gets so annoying. Like, I would honestly say 20% of this movie is scenes from Hell House 1 and 2. Right, because they recreate scenes and then they reference the scene that they're recreating and then they show it to you. Right, like and, they literally play the clip of the original movies in this one, which and they'll they'll point is like it's a constructed documentary, but they do a shitty glitch effect, and it's the same glitch effect every time, and it looks awful. And there's times where a scene will be going on, and they'll switch back, and they'll be like, switch to the scene, switch back to the old scene, switch to the scene, switch back to the old scene. It'll be like three or four times in a span of like twenty seconds. It's just like yeah. stop. I, this is the third movie and it directly ties into those other two. I will watch them. They're both on shutter. Like right. I know what's going on. Yeah. Like, like you were saying, I don't know if it's a thing where they're not confident enough. People watch the first two movies and they're just going to pick up a series at the third entry and just never pay attention to the first two <laughs> movies or something. Right. Like why would but, anyone do that? Right. Like, like for me, this movie was pretty disappointing. Like I think it's, the worst of the trilogy. Like, I would put Hell House 2 Oh, I think 2 is easily. way worse than this. No, I just rewatched Hell House 2. I disagree. Um, <laughs> no, dude. You gotta, you gotta remember back to the <laughs> fucking green screen news footage. That's half that movie. Uh, that If you add up the new content in Hell House 2, it equals out to, like, 20 minutes, maybe, of Abaddon stuff. Because it's just weird little vignettes of people going to the Abaddon and being like, oh, I'm going to go inside. It's abandoned. <laughs> At least this one did its best to do something new by recreating old moments. I, I mean, I definitely like, like, I think the insomnia angle is cool. I think that, like, having this guy come in and set up a new set within the house of the original movie is cool. And I think that the props they put in it are interesting. Like, the way they do it is cool. I just think that, like, the movie definitely did not have enough scare sequences. Right, that's totally true. Like, the plot is okay enough, but it could have definitely done more to, like, incorporate the lore or build up to the finale a bit better. Uh, I think that, like, the makeup on Russell Wynn is terrible. Like, he has this scar on his face. And it's like... Why? it looks worse every time he's on screen for some reason. I hated that scar. That was the stupidest thing. I didn't <laughs> like that. The guy who plays him fits the role well. Like he's not out of place. It's just the scar makeup is so bad. But there right, is Right, it's like every time you see him it takes you out of it because you're just looking at how bad the makeup is on his scar. Right. And I don't think people who saw this on the screen or noticed that because there was their name plastered across it. But there's also <laughs> A really good flashback scene to the first movie when they all decide at a diner that they're going to do Hell House. I thought that moment was really cool. I also think the whole thing with this Russell guy teaming up with Andrew Tully to open up the gate to Hell in Hell House. 
in the Abaddon Hotel. I thought that was a good way that to evolve the story past two. Like, because that was the whole point of two was teasing that and teasing that and teasing right. that. And at the end, they're like, the Lake of Fire is coming. And they, they delivered on it. There's a really cool, just massive death scene at the end where people are getting their throat slit and everything. <laughs> it's it does The effects aren't great, but it didn't have CGI blood. So it that did not have CGI blood, me. at least. <laughs> I just, I really don't like how it flashback all the time. Yeah. That's the one I, thing that really bothered me. Definitely too many flashbacks, not enough scare sequences. I, I think it's something to do with the lore is cool. And I obviously like expanding on like, like, I think they do a good job of deepening the lore of the Hell House series in this movie. This one's also shot really well compared to two. Two looks like a YouTube video compared to this one. Like, two is yeah. a big step down from the first movie visually, but this is a step up from both of them visually. Like, just shot work-wise overall. Right. So, like, I mean... We shot it, above 1080p. <laughs> definitely. I mean, both these, both the sequels are, like, a very mixed bag of... There's some things you can pick out that you like, but there's, like, a lot that you dislike. And it just seems like... I don't know. It's It sucks when the first movie is, like, essentially a found footage like masterpiece like like that i could literally not pick out more than like 10 flaws with the original movie so it sucks that like it's even better right and it sucks that like the two sequels there's more bad than good in them oh yeah totally Uh, both of them yeah so you know i wish that there was i could say that i loved hell house llc3 and that it's like a good conclusion you know air quotes the franchise but it's just like at this it's point, not really a conclusion. Just, yeah. The, the story, the way the story wraps up from the first one to the third one, it wraps up fine. I think they needed more, instead of flashing back to movies we've already seen, it would have been nice if they flashed back to when Andrew Tully owned the hotel. Yeah, totally. Like, if, if you would have seen like the build up to like why the hotel is haunted, what happened initially, like why, like what is so evil about it. Right. Like, what we kind of the... learned what's going on in two, but I would have liked to see seen that. Right, or, three. like, see see the downfall, like, what started the evil of the hotel, like, why did Andrew, like, Andrew Tully's descent into, like, making this, like, a cursed place, I think would have been a way cooler use of the flashback than just showing us the first two movies. Right, so, overall, I'd give it, like, a two and a half out of five. Yeah. Whereas, I'd give two, like, after rewatching two, I'd give two, like, a one and a half. <laughs> two is just so poorly made it's so rushed this one at least felt like they had a plan going into it yeah but i mean both just a, a very extremely weak compared to the miss, first one miss the mark and you look at how long it took to make all of them first one took like five years to make second one i guess a year and this one also a year so it's just you get back what you put into it i guess yeah so overall yeah a little bit disappointing but it's still that series where it's like, this sucks, but I love it. Right. I mean, it's totally one of those things where, you know, if you really like the lore of the franchise and, and you're just kind of watching it for the fun factor. I mean, I, I don't know if anything will ever really match up to the first one at this point. Probably not. I also watched this directly after Candy Corn, which is one of the worst <laughs> movies I've seen this year. That was a huge disappointment. I don't know what the fuck happened there, but I guess it was pretty hard to make or something like that, but... I don't know that I was exactly excited for that movie because everything they released didn't look good. But mm. from an uh, atmospheric standpoint, it did a really good job. No one watched it on my letterbox. A couple people did. And I see <laughs> the reviews ranging from like two to three stars. I, yeah. Three being the high end. I think three is personally way too high. I'd give it like a two, maybe even a one and a half. Is just lame ass excuses for what it's trying to be like this guy who made it josh hasey came off of uh working with rob zombie he shot the documentary for 31 and just the way the kill scenes are blocked in uh candy corn like super not good it lingers way too long there's a ton of cgi blood and then it'll just cut to like very long atmosphere shots of fall in ohio which yeah that's great but it, you went through all this trouble to bring back people like Tony Todd and uh, PJ Souls. PJ Souls laughs, says like a sentence, and she's out of the movie. <laughs> Tony Todd is just in, in this movie, and from 90% of it, he's sitting in a chair. And then suddenly he goes in a house, and this the, the uh, little guy, 
he wants to do a murder. And Tony Todd's like, well, bye. I'm not going to get in on this. <laughs> so I was coming off of that, expecting, you know, Hell House to be just as bad. Right. I was like, Hell House, Hell House could have been a lot worse. <laughs> like, it could have been yeah, a lot worse. It could have been worse, but still not not a great <laughs> great could have been a lot better to the, to the franchise right so let's talk about creep show now though which is really interesting because amc owns uh shutter everyone knows that so they got greg nicotero who left the walking dead when andrew lincoln left he left because they're doing a trilogy of rick grimes movies that were originally going to be on tv only but they've all been upgraded to theaters because apparently they're turning out so well he also signed on to be the showrunner on Creepshow, which makes sense. He's been in the horror industry for a really long time. He does great effects. And it just makes sense for him to be the showrunner on something like that, especially after spending so long on The Walking Dead. Right. First two episodes came out. Uh, first one's called Gray Matter. It, it's the first episode. It has two 30-minute stories in it. First one's called Gray Matter. And for some reason, no one can remember what the second one is called. I've seen like 80 variations of this sentence, but it's called The House of the Head. Yeah. I've seen that the head in the house, head house. <laughs> it's like the it's insane. This how I've seen. Also, calling it gray matter is hilarious because there's two different ways to spell gray, and people are just you know picking their favorite. Right, it seems like <laughs> gray matter. I think is easily the better of the two because it's it's a strong start. It's a good evolution of the Jordy Verrill story with the growing plant, right? And it has a ton of great little callbacks, but it stars Tobin Bell. Or co-stars him, so that was pretty cool. I like I think I like that one better. Yeah, I I, I agree. That's the stronger of the two stories that we've seen so far. Uh, this is an adaptation of a Stephen King short story, and right. uh, I mean I thought that was a fun, cool way to start the series. Like I thought that this was a fun story. Uh, the, the practical effects in that practical one effects awesome. were awesome. Yeah, I mean there's like a lot of goo, and this was actually one of the um rooms that we walked through in Halloween Horror Nights. Right. Because uh there was like the I forget what the beer is called, but there was all the beer in the sink and it was like very slimy and gross. And, I forgot uh, what it's called too. It's like something supreme. Yeah. And it, it also had Adrian Barbeau in it, which she's prolific as well. The story was cool too. It's about this kid who's like there's a hurricane that's about to happen and this kid comes by the uh you know, the drugstore to get some beer for his dad, which immediately tells you how dire this guy's alcoholism is because he's sending his kid out in a hurricane right. to get it. And then they notice that the money he has is slimy. And so Tony Todd, not Tony Todd, why did I say that? Fucking Tobin Bell goes <laughs> with uh, one of his friends. He's the police chief. He goes to check out the house. And the story is very slowly drip fed to you throughout the entire thing. It builds and builds and builds. And it has a good little twist ending. Um, and like we said, the effects are great. So that was awesome. Yeah, I mean, this was a, a cool story. I thought the effects were great. Tobin Bell was good in it, obviously. Uh, like you said, the story was told in like an interesting way where we kind of see... It's told to us both in the, the sense that like we're kind of trying to figure piece it together. And Tobin Bell and his friend are kind of going to the house. And as they're walking through it very slowly, we're getting piece-fed like how this story has been developing from the son of the guy who's in the house so yeah uh just cool i mean a lot of stephen king references in this one uh people have already been putting together lists and uh you know pointing out easter eggs and stuff so i thought this was a really cool story uh pretty strong in my opinion and uh the practical effects were awesome yeah and uh i didn't realize how many stephen king easter eggs were in there until i started seeing them on twitter it also feels like it could be slotted right into one of the movies and you wouldn't even notice it yeah it feels totally. like creep show which is what we wanted yeah and exactly there is a drop off in quality though to the second episode like the second episode or second short uh it's called the house of the head it definitely feels cheaper like the camera angles are definitely there are way less of them. They use this overhead wide angle of this girl's bedroom, the whole thing. And that that angle especially didn't, did not look great to me. But the plot there is a girl has a dollhouse. It's really clever. Every time she walks away from the dollhouse, the little family she has in there, this weird zombie head pops up. Yeah. And so they'll be in like a frozen state and 
it progressively gets worse and worse. She ends up going and getting a police officer to put in there and he gets beheaded. Then she gets the Native American statue from Creepshow 2 <laughs> and puts him in there because he's spiritual. It was a cute story. It just didn't really amount to anything. Yeah, I, I mean, I thought this was actually kind of a cool, like a, an interesting, like original storytelling formula, I guess, where like we're kind of waiting to see what the character notices in the house has changed and we're kind of watching this little set like obviously it feels like most of the budget was spent on the first part since this one probably costs like at the most like a third to make compared yeah, totally. to the the gray matter one uh but i mean i thought that the kid actor was decent enough like carried the story well and it was like an interesting uh way to tell the story where we're trying to like we're as interested in what's changing the dollhouse as the main character that the story follows is. Right. And, and I mean, we get, the, we get these characters like the policeman who shows up and he's like checking the attic and <laughs> then he dies as, you know, he gets decapitated. And then we get the, like you said, the native American, uh, statue from creep show two shows up to be like the spiritual leader. And he gets decapitated out the back of the dollhouse. Um, but, but I think like the main issue with, the first two stories so far has just been like i feel like the payoff isn't great like i like watching the stories unfold but i just feel like when it ends i'm kind of left with like a oh really like that that's how it ended she just like there's no resolution she's just like well i'm done with this i thought the head looked cool the zombie head just overall it was just a major drop off in quality so what i'm hoping is that you know every week we get at least one that's on par with the first episode because that will make it a lot easier to stay on board with it. Yeah, totally. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely impressed with the series so far. Like I'm very happy that the quality is as good as it is. I know that like, that was kind of our big worry was that like they had these big names attached to it, like uh, Tom Savini and Greg Gattaro. And it's like, well, does that mean that there's going to be like two good shorts in the whole series and everything else is going to suck? Um, but I think so far, if, if I think if every episode in the season is at least on par with this episode, I'm going to be really happy with it. Agreed. So as far as Shudder goes, it's five bucks a month too. So it's for something that they wholly produced on their own to be on their streaming service. I think it's great. If I could rate it on Letterboxd, I'd give it like a three and a half so far. Yeah, totally. And uh, they're releasing it weekly. So every Thursday they're putting out the episode. Each episode has two short stories. And I believe it's going from this previous week every Thursday until the finale is going to come out on Halloween. So right. that's kind of a fun, you know, something to look forward to every week throughout the month of October, get you in the mood, nice little Halloween anthology series. Yep. So we've got a few more things coming up. We've got this show to watch. Uh, so overall, I think creep show is the return to form. We are all hoping it would be. That's all I have for this week, George. You got anything else to say? That's all I had. All right. We'll see you guys next time. Bye.